0: Hello friends and welcome to episode 871 of the Juicebox podcast. Welcome back to the best of the Juicebox podcast. Today we're revisiting episode 343. It originally aired on June 8th, 2020. And it's with John Welsh, a doctor who goes into a deep dive on standard deviation, coefficient of variation, A1c, and time and range. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Are you a U.S. resident who has type 1 or the caregiver of someone with type 1? Please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice Join the registry, complete the survey. When you complete that survey, you are helping type 1 diabetes research to move forward right from your sofa. You also might be helping out yourself and you're supporting the podcast. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. Now, you can get 35% off your entire order at CozyEarth.com just by using the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. I'm wearing Cozy Earth joggers and a sweatshirt right now. These joggers are like the best. And uh, our sheets are super duper, super, super cool and silky and soft. Also from Cozy Earth. CozyEarth.com, use the offer code JUICEBOX to save 35%. The podcast is sponsored today by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. BetterHelp.com forward slash JUICEBOX. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. And when you use my link, you'll save 10% on your first month of therapy. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. Talk to them however you feel comfortable. Text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit, for any reason at all, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. And the best part for me is that with BetterHelp... You get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, and you're going to get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price. I, myself, have just begun using BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com forward slash juicebox. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot forward slash juicebox. Save 10% on your first month of therapy. All right, let's talk about John Welsh for a second. John has type 1 diabetes. He's a physician and he works at Dexcom. And he's on the show today because I reached out to Dexcom and said, I want to drill down deep. I want to understand granularly the way smart people understand. What is standard deviation? And I know that might be like, you're like, oh my God, that's what this episode is about. But no, no, listen to me. What we're going to talk about today, standard deviation We're really going to understand what it is and how they come to those numbers. We're also going to talk about coefficient of variation. Now, there's a lot of words you don't know, but by the end of this, you're going to understand. And you're going to understand why it's so important for you living with type 1 diabetes. After we get all this information into our heads, I started talking to John a little bit about how does he manage? What does he call success at the end of the day? And it wasn't as much about the numbers as you might think. But he really helped me to understand what these words that, you know, maybe don't make sense to us right away, just lay people, what they mean and how they're helping. You know, it used to be all about A1C, right? You just tell tell people, like, keep your A1C here. This is what you have to do. But then all of a sudden you start hearing people talk about standard deviation and variability. And this is going to help you to understand it even more. I had such a good time talking to John that it got away from me. I was supposed to talk to him for an hour and like an hour and 20 minutes into it, I was like, oh my God, I got to let you go. He was like four minutes away from having to go to another meeting. And I was just like, I'm sorry, go, go, go. I found this incredibly interesting. I hope you do too. Because I really believe that the concepts that John and I spoke about today are at the core. They're the basis, the bedrock of how you should be considering your health with type one diabetes. If you're looking for data to tell you how you're doing, these three things are a huge piece. You'll, you'll see. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I wanted to call this episode Sugar Adam, but anyway, you'll find out why. Here's my finding. And I've been at this like quite some time, uh being around the diabetes space, I guess, and when the powers that be whoever they be decide that we should all be aiming for a lower a one c there's a way to disseminate that information. they pull together um uh, you know industry people and they and they give them the talks like here's why a one c should be here and not here, and here's what we've learned, and you know you get that talk, and then those people find. Different stakeholders and, and influencers and they, they spread the word and before you know it, when it's distilled out to the public, the message is simply, you know, the ADA decided that your A one C should be this now. And that's what you're now going to hear your doctors your doctors talking about like it's you know, like it's a, a rule handed down from up high. They'll suddenly they have mm-hmm. a different opinion. And if you don't pay attention, you don't realize that that's just how we get information out to people, right? There's no good way. You can't call everybody in the world and say, hey, by the way, your A1C should be a little lower now. You do this. But often while we're spreading that information, it lacks real context. And when this happened recently, I'm going to guess in the last two years, when all of a sudden you started hearing your endocrinologist tell you, listen, it's really much more about variability, your standard deviation. uh, And they started talking like that. There was no context with it again. And then suddenly, everyone's just, you know, it's, they're walking around like they've learned something. And they say, uh, you know, A1C is not as important as standard deviation. And then all of a sudden, the message becomes A1C is not important. And then it gets, it, it gets, you know what I mean? Like it gets ruined as people oversimplify things. And so I really want to leave this talk just backwards and forwards understanding standard deviation. And uh, when I reached out to Dexcom, I said, I need someone who can really do that and no pressure, but they said it was you. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I guess, you know, if if you looked around Dexcom, you would say, all right, we need somebody who can tell stories, who can talk in a straight line more or less. Um, And my um, just by way of introduction, my job title is um, medical and scientific writer. So I love a good story, and I love especially the stories that have to do with numbers and stories that try to convince people that the truth is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and numbers can really buttress a, a story. You say, hey, look look what happens if you don't save for retirement. Uh, here's, here's one way you could go if you spend your money in Las Vegas on that gambling table versus spending your money – in an IRA or whatever. So the the idea that you can make uh, convincing arguments with numerical data has always been attractive to me and and uh, that's why I did some uh, residency training. I went to went to medical school, went to graduate school, and after medical school I did residency training in laboratory medicine. And laboratory medicine is all about measuring things and saying, "Oh, you've got an abnormal value on one of your lab results and here's why it matters and here's what you should do to mitigate the risk of, for example, having a really high potassium level. Um, so if you have good data, then you can make persuasive arguments and you can change people's behavior, hopefully uh, keep them out of trouble. In the case of a high or low potassium, you could save their life yeah. if you get the uh, the doctors to intervene uh, in the case of some really abnormal lab value that might come up in the hospital context, um, the the bigger question about uh, about glucose values and standard deviation, we can get to that. But um, you made the the broader point about uh, public health recommendations, and man, we are just right in the middle of public health recommendations uh, with with the pandemic because there's there's a lot of uncertainty, which is gosh. You know, how can I go to the concert? Can I go to the restaurant? Can I go outside without wearing a mask? And that uh, the recommendations that we've been getting from public health authorities have been um, a little bit discombobulated, maybe internally inconsistent and um, kind of frustrating at times. But uh, I, I'm with you, though. The idea that we can provide uh, good evidence-based recommendations with respect to uh, goals in, in managing diabetes is is a big interest of mine. I'm um, I'm all about uh, all about the numbers. Well,
0: many many years ago, I came to the conclusion for my daughter that if I, I get what I expect is what I started thinking of it as. I, I realized I had Arden's high line set at 200, and I always kept her under 200. So one day I moved her to 180, and I was like, oh, I always keep her under 180. This is really interesting. So I kept pushing it down and pushing it down, and now my daughter's. Um, you know, range is 65 to 120. And mostly we keep it in there. And when we don't, it doesn't go that far out, right? It'll go to 150. That's usually, you know, like just now, I'll use this morning as an example, two slices of toast, an avocado, butter, and an orange. And her blood sugar went to 148 and it's coming back now. And it's not over a long period of time. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? And so... Her standard deviation will look bigger than someone else's. And I don't know if I'm making up things in my head or like, how is it possible that Arden can have a life like that, but her standard deviation could be higher than someone whose A1C is a point or two bigger than hers and who have swings that are far higher and last longer? And so that that's the one idea that keeps me focused on. I don't understand standard deviation or not. And then when I start talking about it with the people that I that listen to the show, I come to realize that everyone's sort of got that that confusion. So can we start very over simply? And standard deviation as an idea is a mathematical issue. Is
1: that right? Oh, um, it is. It's it's a number that is used to describe uh, a set of numbers. So. Uh, for the case of folks who are using uh, CGM, you might expect up to 288 um, numbers every day. And each number represents a glucose concentration. Um, and You can use words to describe that set of numbers, or you can use numbers to describe that set of numbers. The, the average is a pretty simple number that uh, it's easy to calculate. You would add up those 288 values and then divide by 288. And then you get the mean. Um, in this case, it's the arithmetic mean. Uh, there's other flavors. There's the geometric and the harmonic mean, but we'll we'll leave those aside for now. But the arithmetic mean uh, tells you it's a measure of central tendency where you might expect the average, if, if there is such a thing, an average value to fall. The standard deviation is is another number that's used to describe that set of numbers. And it describes uh, the width of that distribution, so it it gives you an idea of how surprised should you be when a number shows up which is pretty far away from the mean. So here's I've got a um, got a wonderful document came out a couple of years ago that looked at uh, glucose concentrations in people without diabetes, and they uh, they came out with normal values. And the normal value here for uh, glucose was pretty close to, where is it, 99. And they express this number, 99 is the average. And then they give you a plus and minus 7. That plus and minus 7 refers to the standard deviation. And the standard deviation, if you imagine a a bell curve that you might have seen in in school, Mm -hmm. where the most popular value is right there in the middle, that's the mean value, in this case 99. The plus or minus 7 tells you how steep is the drop-off on either side of that mean value. So in this case, the 99 plus or minus 7, if you were to go up to 106, in other words, the, the mean plus 1 standard deviation, you would expect to have um, about, I'm sorry, let's go back and say 99 plus or minus 7. Uh, 99 minus 7 is 92. 99 plus 7 is 106. So anywhere from 92 to 106, the expectation is that you would have two-thirds of the values in that pretty narrow range. So, if your goal is to have, if your goal is to have uh, quite a lot of uh, stability, which in general is a good thing, uh, you want that standard deviation to be low. And normal people without diabetes, it is in fact quite low. 99 plus or minus seven is a very tight distribution. Two-thirds of the values fall between uh, 92 and 106. Okay. So uh, there's there's a calculation. We could walk through it if you want. Please. Yeah, I was just going to tell you that when we're done,
0: um, and I can say this because this won't go out until after I'm allowed to, but uh, I'm wearing a Dexcom Pro. I have been for a couple of days. Ah. And so I can see. I'll be able to look while you're talking and figure out what mine is.
1: Oh, good. So, uh, are you able to see the real-time data, or or not yet?
0: No, I see it. It's not blinded. I'm looking at it on my phone.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I, I hope you're. I hope you're within seven points of, of ninety nine. I hope you're well in the normal range. I certainly hope so too. Uh,
0: but I am. I've. I, <laughs> I, I. I. Um. Was really. I have to be honest. As I put it on, I thought, I'm doing this so that I can see how a, a working pancreas attacks things brings them back what curves look like i wanted to see all that because i thought it would make it easier for me to speak to people about about using insulin but at the last second as i was about to do it i thought am i about to find out i have like type 2 diabetes <laughs> or, or pre-diabetic or something like that i was like maybe you know and i just kind of was like all right well if that's if that's the case it's the case i'm going to find out but i there think i've go. been pretty and... good so far so uh
1: luckily well i i hope so and and um Uh, When we do onboarding, we have uh, people come uh, work for Dexcom, and um, part of the onboarding process is, hey, look at uh, at our product and look at what it does. And of course, it's voluntary, but we we say, all right, if if you'd like to wear one of these just to know what the experience is like, we can get you set up with one of these. And and our expectation is always your glucose values are going to be are going to be let me check boring, uh, and you're going to have a, a really smooth ride throughout the day, um, you know 99 plus or minus seven. Uh, but once once in a while we have we have people that come back and they say you know John I, I learned something really interesting and I go well what's that? Um, if I have if I have an entire pizza, uh, I can get my sugar up to 180, mm-hmm. and I say wow that's that's abnormal, and so people learn uh, something. Even if they don't have a known diabetes, they can learn something about uh diet and exercise they you know I went for a long bike ride yesterday and I crashed I went pretty low, and then I had the the coca cola or the the sugary drink, and then I saw my sugar zoom back up so you can learn a lot. Um, and that's a general truism that you can learn a lot just by looking. Yeah. Um, but Scott, I'm I'm pleased that you're wearing uh one of the CGM sensors and I hope you learned something.
0: I really am. I'll tell you already, I had two pieces, smaller pieces of homemade pizza on Sunday, and three and a half hours later I got a push up from the protein and the fat probably holding the uh the, the crust of the pizza in my in my system longer. That was fascinating. And this morning I had a breakfast that was just a, a piece of turkey and toast. People are like, "Oh my god, it's so boring!" But uh, but I, uh, I I smoked a turkey yesterday. It was so good, John. I wanted to have some sort of breakfast, so I took some turkey and I had a piece of toast this morning. And when I was done, I grabbed a navel orange. And when I ate the orange, it tried really hard to push my blood sugar up. Um, you know, not immediately, but it was it was drastic, and my body attacked the drastic rise so much so that I was 74 straight down for a second before I leveled right back out at 80. It was amazing. I went from 74 straight down to 80 and stable in a five, in oh one, my gosh. in 1 5 sec 5 minute thing. So I saw my body go, "Oh, that's a lot of sugar from that orange." And, you know, he's already put this bread in here, I guess. You know, I don't obviously don't know exactly how my <laughs> body's thinking, but but the idea was I was, you know, I was starting to push up a little from the bread, not greatly, but then I think when I added the the simple sugar I just I got a really quick response. So I'm noticing that that every time I press with simple sugar, my body comes back more aggressively than it does with more complex carbs. Yeah.
1: You know, boy, that's interesting. And and other people have described it to me where they'll um they might have some indiscretion. They'll say, I'm gonna have a twenty four ounce Mountain Dew and you slam the sugary beverage and you get this wonderful increase in sugar which you can feel and life is wonderful, and then what you described with the orange uh, happens uh, happens in a very dramatic way where there the um, insulin kicks in and then the sugar plummets, and then all of a sudden you have the uh, the big crash after the, the sugar high comes the crash yeah. and that uh, I think that's a manifestation of uh, instability right. and um, same thing you know i'm I'm gonna make a quick little analogy to the cruise control on your on your car. Um, what I hope for when I engage the cruise control on my car is is just a smooth ride um and i don't want the car to be slamming on the throttle and slamming on the brake all the time mm-hmm. i just want to be going at 65 all the way home um so i i uh i'm very sympathetic to your experience with <laughs> with uh, high amplitude glycemic swings it's it's a common thing especially in the world of Type 1 diabetes where we're all taking insulin.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I'll tell you, and I'll, then I'm going to let you get back to it, but the the other thing that happened that I really didn't expect but makes total sense is that for about the first 36 hours I wore it, every time I looked and saw my blood sugar stable, I had a horrible um, feeling of guilt. It was It was really it's, interesting because my daughter's had Type 1 since she was 2. She's 15 now. I have interactions with oh. tens of thousands of people who have diabetes, and they all would just... I don't, they would do anything to have that, you know? And it really, it really impacted me for, uh, in the beginning. I just was, I felt very guilty for my pancreas working. It was a, a weird feeling. So, um, but I'm sorry, I shouldn't derail you because we're talking about something that's, you know, you don't think is complicated, but trust me, I do. So I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't distract myself. Um, but we were talking again about, about people, you know, who have a functioning pancreas and you said, you know, let's pick 99. is thats that, is that, is that, that kind of center target and you can go to 92 or up to 106 and then explain again what i'm sorry where were you headed with that
1: oh sure um the value i'm, I'm looking at a big article that came out a couple of years ago they looked at 153 people without uh without diabetes uh and they put uh, glucose monitors on them and they they collected a bunch of data and so the question i guess the the first question is why would you care why would anybody bother Uh, The answer is, well, we want to know what normal looks like, so we can decide if if a particular glucose profile is reassuringly normal or if there's something uh, going sideways on it. Uh, The 99 value from earlier is the mean. Uh, The standard deviation um, I gave you earlier is is 7, and that tells you something about how wide the distribution is. So one standard deviation on either side of 99 would go from 92 on the low side up to 106 on the high side. That uh, mean plus or minus one standard deviation, the expectation is that uh, two-thirds of the values would fall in that uh, relatively narrow range. Uh, two standard deviations, uh, 99 plus 14 is 114, 113 on the high side. And then 99 minus 14, I guess, is 85, is that right, on the low side. So. 85 to 113 the expectation is that you would cover uh an even higher percentage i think 96% of the values would would fall in that range and if you go out even further to plus or minus 3 standard deviations the expectation is that almost all the values more than 99% of the values would fall within three standard deviations of that uh central value the mean um so that's um that's it in a nutshell the calculation, um, it's not difficult. It's its not trivial, but it's not difficult. Um, I'm not sure if your audience would be interested in in walking through it or well, just looking I'll, it up. I'll, on I'll tell you
0: right now, John, this is very much meant to be for people who are interested in that. So um, I have a uh, uh, a group of episodes, there's about 20 of them. They're called pro tips and they are deep dives into specific things about type one. And this is, this is one. So don't think of this as an interview as much as think of it as we are really trying to pick this apart so that when someone listens through, like, I'll be honest with you uh, in sixth grade, my guidance counselor told me I could take algebra halfway through algebra. I didn't understand algebra at all. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm terrible at math. Uh, I dropped out of it. It was a, a bad decision because I I followed a much simpler math track the rest of my time, which probably wasn't necessary. And just now, as you were talking, I you know you set up this scenario and the standard deviation was plus or minus seven, and you started talking about out one standard deviation, two and three, and it just started to make sense to me. So you're doing a good job. Okay. Yeah, trust me, if I understood what you just said, everyone listening has a chance to to understand okay. it as well.
1: Well, you're, you're very kind, and that's, I'm very pleased to think that uh, we're, we're making progress toward the goal then. Okay. Um, we can, um, uh, I can introduce the topic again and, and say the standard deviation is just a, a number that's used to describe a set of other numbers. Um, the standard deviation, there's a calculation for it. It's a little bit involved, um, but it involves, uh, first of all, calculating the mean for a population, uh, the example that we used was the uh, the mean value for people without diabetes, it's 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have quite a lot of values. You might have uh, thousands or, or tens of thousands of values. Uh, and this is where it gets a little bit tedious. For every one of those individual values in the set that you want to describe, you have to calculate the difference from the mean. And the difference from the mean is either going to be a negative number or it's going to be a positive number depending on whether the the individual value is higher or lower than the mean. Uh, you square that. So squaring a negative number gives you a positive number. Squaring a positive number gives you a positive number. So you're going to get another set of numbers, which is the squared difference from the mean. Um, and if you had uh, 10,000 values in the set, you're going to have 10,000 squared differences from the mean. You have to add them all up. You get a sum of squared differences, and then you divide it by <laughs> divide it by the number of observations in the set minus one. So uh, it's it's a, a pretty complicated when you try to describe it verbally. But if you were to look at it on a sheet of paper, you would say, oh, it's it's a series of steps. Uh, add up all the square differences from the mean, divide it by a large number, one less than the number of observations in your sample, and then take the square root. And then once you've taken the square root, bingo, there's your standard deviation. So it's um, uh, it's a few steps, but it's uh, something that uh, kids probably learn and then probably forget just as quickly as they learned it in um, in middle school or, or high school algebra class.
0: So how does so the Clarity it's, app like to simplify that all down what is the clarity app looking at when it tells me you know the the standard deviation is 35 can you like distill it what is it looking at to make that decision without the without the detail
1: oh absolutely so yeah. the uh, the statistics page um for the clarity app gives you some summary statistics and just a quick little um um operational note i wonder if you're able to see my page that i'm trying to share with you on the zoom meeting yep oh good okay um so uh maybe you should ask your question again so we could uh, rejoin the the post-editing narrative oh i just no i was um what i'm worried what i'm interested
0: in is is there's a clarity app obviously and, we, yep. and it tells me, oh, your standard deviation or your daughter's standard deviation is 35. Or some people are like, oh, I'm struggling. And, and, you know, mine mine's 65. And I heard from a woman the other day that told me her doctor told her that anything under 100 was okay, which she yeah. she very smartly was like, I don't think that sounds right. Uh, but I want to know, like, what does it look at to tell me my standard deviation is 34? Like, like what oh, is sure. it taking into account?
1: Oh, sure. Well, that's. Um, I think I can uh, get that one answered pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, we've got our statistics page, and, and if your audience wants to look at the Dexcom Clarity uh, web interface, there's a page all devoted to statistics. Um, looking right now at, at my statistics for, for Monday, and this is every Monday for the past 30 days, so there's uh, several Mondays in that sample, mm-hmm. uh, I've got a total of 1,253 readings. And each one of those is a estimated glucose value. Uh, and then the summary statistics, the minimum 40, oh, that was scary, the maximum 244, huh. Um, so those are, those are not normal. Um, the mean value, 128, um, that's reassuring. And then the standard deviation, 34. So to get that 34, uh, the calculation that I just walked you through, which is Look at every one of those 1,253 values. Mm-hmm. Get the difference from the mean. So do the subtraction: 128 minus uh, a particular value. Uh, you square each of those differences from the mean. Add them all up, and then divide the total by um, 1,252. Once you've done that, you take the square root of it, and it's it's 34. So there's, uh, as I said, it's a little bit of uh, algebra, but it's, uh, again, the the usefulness of it, uh, 128 plus or minus 34 tells you that uh, you would expect two-thirds of those glucose readings to be within one standard deviation of the mean. So 128 minus 34 is just 90-something, and then 128 plus 34 is 162. So you would, uh, you would expect most of my sugars to be in that in that range, take for a second um, in, in 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 any example, I,
0: I know we're going to oversimplify, but describe what mean is.
1: Oh, sure. the mean um, it's also known as the average value. Yeah. Uh, so if if you were to look at the uh, uh, NBA players, uh, you say, "Wow, NBA players are really tall. Uh, you might uh, express that in numbers by saying the average or the mean. Height of an NBA player is uh, six feet, six inches tall. So it's uh, another word for average. It's a particular kind of average, but we don't need to talk about the other kinds of averages. Um, Mean is usually just the arithmetic mean. You calculate it by adding up all the values and then dividing that total by the number of values. So what I have here, what I'm looking at in front of me, is 1,253
0: readings. Um, There were 40 that were...
1: Is that uh, under or is no. that
0: under a certain number, those forty?
1: Oh yeah. We're we're looking at these rows in the in the statistics. Mm-hmm. The the number of readings one thousand two hundred and fifty three. The bottom uh the minimum was forty, uh the maximum two hundred and forty four. Okay. Um and the mean value one hundred and twenty eight. Gotcha. Um, so within if I the, may,
0: within those twelve hundred and fifty three readings, there the high was two forty four, the low was forty, but on average this person's blood sugar was one hundred
1: and twenty eight. Uh, that's a, that's a nice way to do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at my readings from the past uh, month or so. Oh, these so are you.
0: Oh, oh, my gosh. Um, are, are you, do you have type one?
1: I do. I've, I've been living with type one for most of my life for the past 45 years oh, and okay. uh, so far so good. John, I thought yeah, you were showing that? me like an example page. I didn't
0: realize we were looking at your blood sugars. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, you can spy on me. Uh, you can uh, you can look at my summary statistics here. We can we can continue uh, with the summary statistics page. Yeah, uh, I, if and, I like ha- to. and I'm gonna have some questions about it when you're done, but
0: please keep keep going.
1: Oh sure. Um and and this is incredibly number it's it's a very useful way to get a numerical description of other numbers. Um and so far so good. You know, here's here's a guy, John Welsh, who is this clown anyway, and what does he Doing talking about his uh, glucose numbers, um, so John's um, had a, at least one time where he went all the way down to forty, but the mean value one hundred twenty eight is reassuring. Um, and then we get down to some other statistics that uh, talk about the median value. The median value is the um, the value above above which and below which half of the values occurred. So in my case, the median is one hundred twenty two. And that tells you that half of my readings were above 122, and half of my readings were below 122. So that's another measure of central tendency. Um, the uh, And it's usually expressed um, alongside uh, the interquartile range. And so you look at the, um, the value that is uh, 75% of the way to the top. So 75% of the values are below it, 25% are above it. And in my case, the um, the seventy fifth uh, percentile is one hundred and fifty three. the twenty fifth percentile is one hundred and three. So you can say with uh, with some confidence that half of my values were between one hundred and three and one hundred and fifty three. and those are the twenty fifth and seventy fifth percentiles. and the uh, the interquartile range here is given as fifty, and that's just the difference between one hundred and fifty three and 103. Can
0: I ask a question here? If, 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 if half of those were ranged between 103 and 153, I'm assuming that the other half are how we arrive at the standard deviation of 34. Like I'm assuming you need that information too, to come back to the standard deviation.
1: Oh, no, uh, no, the standard deviation, uh, the standard deviation relies on all values and it doesn't, um, it doesn't care so much about the distribution it just cares about how far from the mean value uh, the values are okay. so there's um, uh, there's there's another point that I want to make which is the the median value in my case 122 mm-hmm. the mean value is 128 um, a lot of times those are very close together uh, but sometimes they're very far apart and and there's some special circumstances where the mean value is much, much different than the median value. And and we can talk about those if if you think it's interesting.
0: I wonder, uh, what I do want to know is, um is how much of sensor, like, so, you know, I've, my daughter's been wearing a Dexcom since seven, maybe Dexcom seven or seven plus back then. And so Great. obviously we see things at every generation improve and improve and improve, but I could still say that for Arden in the first number of hours, you know, that you put on a new sensor, it's not as, I don't know, it's not as tight with its understanding of your blood sugars as it maybe is on, you know, day two or, like, you know, where there's a sweet spot through the middle where it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Arden uses a Contour X1 uh, blood glucose meter, which is incredibly accurate. And for a large part of her sensor wear, the meter and the CGM are spot on with each other. They're within a couple of points. And when you're mm-hmm. managing type one, there's a ton of, like, good feeling about that, knowing that, you know, she wakes up in the morning and it says her blood sugar is 96. Now, whether or not her blood sugar is really 85 or it's really, you know, uh, I don't know, 104, it, to me is of no real consequence. It's it's in that space and I'm thrilled with that. Then I put it on and I don't have diabetes and I wake up and it says my blood sugar is 94 and I think, oh my God, I've been fasting all night and I'm 94 and I do a finger stick and I'm 85. It's amazing that those seven points to a person without diabetes is is it's a different impact than it is to a person (laughs) with it, right? And so, it is seriously. Like I wake up in the morning, I'm ninety four. I'm like, oh, I guess that's it. I'll just eat lettuce till I die. Like you know, like like it's just it feels like that immediately, and um, but I take a but that same information coming from my daughter, I am completely comforted by, and not just comforted by it. But it leads me in my understanding of how to manage her insulin and and her health and everything. My question is, is that knowing that the sensor is a little, um, you know, on the on the edges, it struggles a tiny bit more than it does in the middle. Is there something about my data that I can't look at too micro? Like, do I have to how much time do I really need before? the inconsistencies in the data and the consistencies in the data balance out to where it doesn't matter that it's not all perfect. Does that make sense? Oh, that's,
1: yeah, that is a very common question. And I, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer. I I can tell you how I deal with imprecise measurements in my own life. And, and I've got a, I had a wonderful bike ride yesterday um, here in San Diego and I've got a fancy bike that has a built-in speedometer it's based on how many uh how many times the wheel uh, completes a revolution so there's a speed sensor built into the into the wheel and based on that you can calculate your speed and i've got another uh fancy thing in my phone where you can uh, get your speed based on satellite data from your global positioning satellite system mm-hmm. and and i looked at it and i found myself uh chugging along the road and and the um, the the speeds you want to guess if if they were exactly the same, no they weren't. Right. Um, I was going twenty miles an hour. If you look at the the wheel sensor, I was going twenty one miles an hour. If if you look at the GPS coordinates, so measuring your blood sugar and seeing one number, and then looking at your CGM and seeing another number, um, and and it's frustrating because there's no good way to uh, to know how excited or how Concern to be about discrepancies there's always going to be discrepancies It's a rare thing when when the uh, blood sugar tells you you're one hundred and five and then you get that one hundred and five from the cgm right. um, and and i I don't want to give medical advice over the phone like this, but uh, there is the the possibility that you could calibrate your your g six and and uh, based on the your confidence in a blood glucose meeting reading, you could say oh my my g6 is reading a little bit low i'm going to calibrate it and then bring it back into better alignment with the uh, with the blood glucose meter so i i know it's frustrating i wish i had a better uh, i wish we had better devices for for measuring glucose with even more precision dude are you kidding um, they're amazing
0: the... you've had diabetes forever <laughs> you know how amazing this stuff is just because you work there doesn't mean you can't say that and it's actually been very interesting for me because of the pro doesn't allow you to uh, calibrate, or at the least cali- my, it, it, I just had to go with it, and it really sure it, it was it was it was interesting to live in the space because for my first maybe eighteen hours, the glucose monitor was reading about ten to twelve points higher than what the finger stick was. It was pretty consistent for those few hours, uh-huh. and I found myself thinking, if this was my daughter. And I put a brand new CGM on her that thought she was 110 when she was 91. I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. I love this thing. It's so amazing. Except, you know, when I didn't have diabetes, I was like, is my pancreas not working? You know, like very like it's a, it was just such a very different thing. But beyond that initial feeling, it really did just cement my idea of how much I love this technology. And and because I can remember managing my daughter's blood sugar without a glucose monitor. And to think that she'd be stable at 110 or 91 ever for hours and hours at a time is insane. But it would just never happen. But over these last few days, we've been eating the same meals and her care is so dialed in due to a large due in large part to the information that comes back from the DEXCOM that her blood sugars and mine are. Are largely matching before and after meals
1: <laughs> congratulations and very and that's cool. uh, that's just that's wonderful news and you know it's a, a, and I'm totally with you we uh, we can talk about the bad old days when when you had to uh, uh, make a make a guess and, and a lot of times it was not a very good guess based on just a urine dipstick and you could say oh i I'm, I'm spilling sugar into my urine and I need more insulin, and you would have to Make a guess, um, right. and some of the highs and lows were were pretty scary. And and people, um, you know, sad sad to say that that people are still dying from insulin overdoses. Insulin, let me check, it's a poison, uh, and it can kill you. And there's um, there's a lot of uh, downside risk to insulin, even though it's uh, a huge blessing. We're coming up on the hundred year anniversary of the commercialization of insulin so uh i'm we're, we're all going to celebrate and be thankful for the commercialization of insulin and okay. the fact that we're not dead but it's um it's a tough disease, and you wouldn't um you wouldn't wish it on anybody because it's really a lifetime burden I just uh, had a, but i'm I'm really pleased thank yeah. you. I just had a conversation
0: uh, briefly online with a woman this morning who, even with all the technology, gets incredibly low every day, so I was turning her on to the podcast I was like this doesn't need to be you're just you're not using your insulin correctly. And it's not that it's not that <laughs> difficult to figure out how, you know, so I I, I turned around some stuff. Listen, I, I have an idea here. Can I hit you with some questions and see if you have answers to them? These are questions that came from listeners. And um uh, sure. And and I'm not asking you now, I understand you're a doctor, um, but I'm not asking you that way. I'm asking you based on this information, this data, and how much you've seen it, do you see do you see information? in the data that would help people with the things that they're concerned about. So the first one's simple. Do you know what a non type one standard deviation usually is? Is there a range where it usually falls? Uh, For example, somebody with type two. No, no, no. Just someone who doesn't have diabetes at all. Do you know where, like, like where?
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Yeah. So we, we've got a, um, um, we've got some data from a, a big study of 153 people without diabetes. Uh, their standard deviation was, was seven. Seven. Okay. Um, yeah. okay. Is there,
0: um, let's see how they want to say this here. So this is a type one question. Somebody, somebody's asking, um, if there's a lot of variability within the good range, say like a, like 70 to 120, this person's kind of bouncing between 70 and 120 they're what they want to know for their health and maybe you don't know but would they be better off sitting at 120 than they would be from going up and down between 70 and 120
1: oh i i think so and there's um this kind of leads into another uh number that you can get with the um the summary sheet It's the ambulatory glucose profile is something that dexcom has uh, it's um it's not exclusive to Dexcom, but it's called the AGP, the Ambulatory Glucose Profile. What poet the names these might... things, John? <laughs> I don't know.
0: You really got to get a creative in charge of, the, in medical in general, in charge of the stuff that, that goes back and touches people. A- ambulatory Glucose pro I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> there's, there's a lot of syllables there. Um, and, and there's a whole industry for, you know, if you come up with a new drug, you have to Hire a marketing firm to come up with a name for your for your new drug, um, but but there's a digression for you. Um, anyway, the the numbers um, uh, the numbers that are on the top line of the ambulatory glucose profile, the average is there, the the time and range is there. There's another uh, number here, which is the the standard deviation, and then the coefficient of variation, and that's a number that uh, I think has has a lot of usefulness because it tells you uh, how big is your standard deviation compared to the mean value? Mm-hmm. And there's some clinical implications for that. A uh, high uh, high coefficient of variation is dangerous because it puts you at very much increased risk for dangerously low events for for hypoglycemic misadventures. So the the coefficient of variation uh, again, looking at my own data uh, for the past 30 days, my coefficient of variation 31.3. And is that good or bad or indifferent? Uh, it's it's higher than I'd like it, um, mm-hmm. but is it dangerous? And there was a a fun article, a fun I don't know, but uh, useful anyways. The the useful article came out a couple years ago, and some folks in France and the UK uh, came out with an article in Diabetes Care, and they they said uh, CV uh, coefficient of variation of 36% is a threshold to distinguish between stable and unstable sugars because beyond this limit, the frequency of hypoglycemia is significantly increased. And and if this, um, my own CV here, 31.3%, uh, that's reassuring. It's low, which is good, and it's less than 36%, which tells you that I'm, uh, I could still go low, but the fact that this CV is less than 36% is reassuring. Uh, I went to see my endocrinologist and he said, hey, John, keep up the good work. Uh, you're probably not going to die of hypoglycemia before the next time I see you. And and that was, so, all right, thanks. We'll see on. you in six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, you yeah. know what's interesting
0: that I see with my daughter, who is, a, you know, a, a woman, a burgeoning woman, um, is that with our care, the same exact care we use on weeks and days where she's not impacted by hormones, Arden's... Um, Standard deviation is 24-ish. But Oh, my gosh. That's terrific. Thank you. But that's not why I'm telling you that. What I'm telling you that is because, although I appreciate it, why I'm telling you is because that when she is impacted with hormones, the run-up to her period, for example, her deviation jumps up to 45. And, it, and our no tools aren't different. Her meals don't vary. It's just she needs more insulin, and it sometimes takes a couple of days for you to realize that that's happening and then once it's happening to remember it's happening to remember like you know oh you know my ratios are telling me this much insulin but it's 4 days before I'm going to get my period so it needs to be more it's difficult to recall all that you know constantly but it's fantastic to it's interestingly fantastic to see because if Arden was a boy I think I would have a son with a with a standard deviation Pretty consistently within 24 until they hit. I'm assuming puberty as well, um, but you as a, it's just very interesting to look at your 30 day chart here. You're, you're, I know we're talking about, it, so you don't mind. But your standard deviations 42, um, and you're saying it's not where you want it, but it's also not terrible. Like people are trying to understand on the outside what's the number that keeps them healthy, and what's the number where they think. It, you know, something else is going to happen. It, it is very simple in people's minds when they think about these numbers. Like, what do I got to hit? How do I get to it? Um, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think um, if um, uh, the, the more useful number, and I think the one that is very convenient to have as a, as a goal and is, is the coefficient of variation. And that's just a ratio. It's the standard deviation divided by the mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and aiming for something less than 36% would be uh would be a reasonable Would be a, a terrific goal. And if I were still seeing patients, I would say, "Here's uh, your your coefficient of variation is 40 percent. Let's look more carefully at the trajectories or, or at the. This is called a modal day plot, and I'm sure your audience is, has seen this. Mm. It uh, it lays out the the clock time here on the bottom axis, and then the glucose values on the vertical axis. And you can see the median value here in the bold line, right in the middle. Um, And then you can see the the shading here. The blue shaded area uh, covers 50% of the values. And then the area in between the dotted lines covers 90%, or I'm sorry, 80% of the values. So uh, what what I'm looking for, what I would be looking for if I were looking at somebody else's plot, is uh, a smooth ride. And sometimes you can identify uh, parts of the day where the ride is pretty bumpy. Uh, for example, uh, after lunch, uh, if if you're mm. having lunch at your desk and you're not going for a walk and you're having the third slice of pizza, you might see spikes after lunch or dinner, um, or you might see uh, plummeting lows after breakfast if you gave yourself too much insulin for breakfast, insulin to go with breakfast. Yeah. So I, I'm not, um, the, the standard deviation If if you're always cruising around uh, a relatively high number, like 170, the standard deviation is going to be bigger than if you're always cruising around at a much lower number, like 110. Mm. So um, um, the number that I think is more reasonable to target as a therapeutic goal is, is the coefficient of variation. Okay.
0: Under 36.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that seems to be the magic number and that's the consensus and, and it's, uh, it should be achievable if you, if you just pay attention to parts of the day where you might be having a bumpy ride, you can look at your behaviors, look at your, the response to your behaviors and say, you know what, uh, I think I will, instead of having three slices of pizza, maybe I'll just have one. Mm -hmm. So CGM can be a wonderful, uh, motivator it can inform people it can uh, motivate and reward uh, good choices so i'm uh, you can tell i'm a huge fan i love uh, evangelizing this stuff but you can learn from you can really learn a lot from the numbers and the numbers can uh, tell you uh, if if you pay attention to them to the numbers themselves and also to the summary statistics like the standard deviation you can learn quite a lot from them
0: oh i'm i'm a huge fan i don't understand it obviously nearly as well as you do but I know what it tells me. So for instance, after Arden's, my, my poor daughter one day is going to listen back to this and be like, how much did they talk about my period on that podcast? But um, (laughs) after, so the lead up to her period, there's like three or four days prior to it. She gets, you know, all of a sudden she needs way more insulin. And then in the first day or two of it, uh, it happens still. But then there's a moment where it levels, like whatever happens is done. She's still, the period's still happening, but the, the hormonal impact seems to be gone out of her body. So let me give you an example, because it just happened yesterday for her. In the last 24 hours, Arden's estimated A1C is five, and her standard deviation is 24. Her average blood sugar is 98. But if I just go back seven days through her... Um, you know, through this lead up to this period, estimated A1C 5.8, standard deviation 43, average blood sugar 119. It's And it's just the hormones. It's the lead up to her period. And so it's fascinating. And not that you don't know, but and then there's another time of the month where it happens again to her for four or five days. But just those, just that week and then that other chunk. So basically what I think is about seven, eight, nine, probably 12 or 13 days of the month takes what would normally be, I, I think a, 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 an SD, and, like I said, in the mid-20s and an A1C closer to five than six and it moves her A1C more towards like, her A1C pretty much sticks at like 5.6. It, it doesn't move very much.
1: Um Okay.
0: It, it It's just very, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I would do before this information, no lie, prior to it, I wasn't a different person, and we were not good at this at all, just diabetes in general. Her, her A1Cs were in the eights, and then I finally got them into the sevens just by having, you know, uh, better tools, and insulin pump, a glucose monitor, but I still didn't understand it enough to turn it into real, like, success, you know, like like the idea of knowing sure. when to bolus and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I know all that from this data now, and it's uh, sure. it's incredibly beneficial.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm 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 with you 100% on that. And I think for um, my own my own experience was uh, in the the bad old days before CGM. I was poking my finger and and making a lot of guesses, and it really got me interested in in how the body works. And it was a great um, great motivator all through college. And uh, that was part of my story when I was applying to medical school. And I'm I'm not alone. There's a lot of uh, a lot of physicians who specialize in in endocrinology and metabolism who also have type one diabetes, so um, my own story is is, hey, this is really interesting, I want to learn about it, and I want to go to medical school and and what do you know the medical school here in town said, "All right, um, all right, come to medical school and and you can learn um, you can learn quite a lot in medical school about about the disease itself and about how you measure how you measure sugar and measure all the other important things that we care about in metabolism. So it's, uh, for me anyway, it was uh, not just a life-changing event when I got that diagnosis, but it also uh, uh, sort of uh, defined my career path uh, toward toward becoming a physician and also to to working here at Dexcom.
0: Yeah. Hey, so— that's fascinating, and I, I'm afraid I'm going to start talking to you and then lose track of what we're supposed to be doing because I, I had <laughs> questions and I almost answered asked them, and I was like, "Oh, don't do that." Um, what kind when you when you when this data is pulled together? Given that there are, you know, blood sugar lags and meters aren't perfect, and nothing's perfect. What what's built in to deal with the error? So like, how does it come to the number and? And and take the the impreciseness out of it. Is it like like looking at yours for an example? Your standard deviation is forty two. What if 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 a Dexcom was absolutely perfect? If there was a, you know if it wasn't technology, but it was it was your you know I don't know something organic that could know hundred percent for sure what all these measurements are in your glucose all the time. How far off do you think that number would be if you had perfection? Does that make sense?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're you're hypothesizing that there is some. There's a real answer. Uh, yeah, yes. there is. There does exist some true number, and we're always trying to become more more accurate and getting closer to that true number. Right. Um, we are. Uh, we're never going to get there. Uh, you have to stipulate that we're mm-hmm. always going to have some some wiggle uh, and some imprecision, um, and that's I think true because. Nothing on this planet is perfect, and and we have to. <laughs> if we get to heaven, then then uh, everything is perfect in heaven. If we ever make it there, I'll ask. Um, man, that'll be
0: my first question when I get there. I'll be like,
1: "What was my kid's A one C really?" <laughs> yeah. So that that's a whole other uh, line of inquiry, but uh, we're we're probably certainly within ten percent. I, I think uh, I'm I'm confident that we're within ten percent. I'm less confident that we're within five percent. I would be surprised if we. Were within three percent, and I would be really astonished if if you told me it was within one percent. I would be astonished. So I'd, I've got some confidence uh, the for the ten percent uh, precision, and I've, I've got some optimism that we can uh, usually get within five percent of the true value. Uh, those are just speculative numbers um, because there's no such thing as a perfect value, even if even if you use the gold standard. Uh, we could quibble about uh, any reference instrument, and this is one of the things they drilled into us during my residency training in laboratory medicine. Which is, um, is there such a thing as a perfect measurement? Uh, no, not until we all die and go to heaven. Right. Um, while we're living on this earth, you have to deal with imprecision and uncertainty. But I, I think we're we're pretty good, and Just- for purposes that we care about, managing managing diabetes and living a long happy life, I think we're we're well within the realm of of good enough
0: and outcomes are are good based on what we know does does that mean from what you just said if if at a 42 standard deviation is it possible that your standard deviation is somewhere like 36 or possibly like i don't know 48 or 47 or is it more likely it's lower or more likely it's higher if it's is there a likelihood that it's more one way than the other
1: Oh yeah, the the standard deviation just tells you how uh how spread out the distribution is. And the uh the true standard deviation could be higher or lower because all the the numbers that the standard deviation depends on uh, could actually be uh, incorrect. So, um I, I think um uh, yeah, that that's a tough one. Let me let me think about that. Yeah, please. I'm I'm looking now at this um Looking now at the standard deviation and this uh, the famous bell curve, the um, you know what the uh, if I'm understanding your your question correctly, um, could the standard deviation be something different? Use and me use me
0: as an example in my situation right now. If I put on sure. a new CGM every ten days, I, I wear three sensors a month, nine sensors over a three month period. If I look back at my ninety days my standard deviation, if my, if my sensor's reading just 10 points higher for the first, I don't know, just say 36 hours of every one of those things, am I more likely to look higher than I am or lower than I am because of that?
1: Higher, right? Oh, uh, uh yeah, I think, yeah. I think you would have a high, it's called a high bias. Okay. Um, yeah, but, I, uh, your earlier question, could the standard deviation be something other than the calculated result? i I, I think the answer is no. Um, if, if you gave me uh, uh, the numbers from 1 to 5, could the total be something other than 15? And I would say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the total of the integers from 1 to 5 is, is 15. And uh, if you give me a set of numbers, I can calculate the mean and the standard deviation. So I, I think the calculation that we've done here... Uh, resulting in this standard deviation of 42 if if we did the math correctly then the standard deviation is 42
0: does
1: the the um, i'm sorry does the algorithm that's making this decision does it
0: scrub anything like um you know like a compression load does it see that and go oh we're not going to take this into account does it do any of that kind of stuff
1: Oh yeah, uh, and that's—I think that's true. Uh, that's got to be true for Medtronic. Uh, it's got to be true for Abbott. It's got to be true for Sensionics, and also for Dexcom. We've got—we've um, got algorithms. Um, the signal that we are measuring is actually a voltage. It's a—it's—I'm sorry. It's a, a current. So the current is very low. Uh, current usually measured in amperes, and, and we're dealing with billionths of an ampere, I think a, a nanoampere or picoampere, so incredibly small currents. Um, and the challenge for the engineers is to take that very small electrical current and translate that into a, a number that makes sense, a number of milligrams per DL. So that requires some uh, some engineering talent, and it requires an algorithm. And I, I think that's part of the secret sauce that we have here at Dexcom, medtronic i'm sure they have a algorithm which is similar but slightly different and and the same for abbott and the same for sensionics. and that's true uh whenever you're measuring something and saying what you're measuring you know for the example of your uh, oven if you're cooking your uh making your cookies uh you're measuring temperature uh, what you're really measuring is the height of the mercury in the thermometer And the trust is that that's uh, a good representation of your temperature. And then going back to the bicycle uh, speedometer example, what it's really measuring is how fast the wheel is turning, uh, and you're translating that revolutions per minute into a a speed. So uh, it's, it's a challenge to take a very small electrical current and turn it into a glucose value and but that's, uh, that's what we do, and I think that's what all the manufacturers have to do. It's amazing. And listen, we're one rabbit hole
0: away from wondering <laughs> if we live in a simulation. So let me ask a more concrete question. <laughs> I'm ready. John, John in, in, in 30 more minutes, we're going to be like, we're probably in the matrix. Uh, so uh, sure. just a real quick one. Canadians or people who are using other scales, do they multiply – their standard deviation by 18 to get their answer? Um, like this person gave me an example, said their last standard deviation in Canada was 1.6. Do they multiply right. that by 18 to get the number that the way we're talking about it right now?
1: Uh, they sure would, yeah. So the the units for standard deviation, um, the standard deviation here in the U.S. is milligrams per DL. Um, outside the U.S., uh, the standard deviation is, is millimoles per liter. And the conversion factor is, is 18. Okay. Uh, So the standard deviations would be um, less by a factor of 18 in uh, places where they use millimoles per liter. And and that's a a good point. Thank you for bringing it up. And the point is that what would not change is the coefficient of variation. So if if you were to take all my numbers or if, if I were lucky enough to be a Canadian and measuring my sugars in millimoles per liter um i would still have um this coefficient of variation of 31.3%. That mm-hmm. would not change. I see. Because you're dividing um milligrams per dl uh in the numerator milligrams per dl in the denominator and those uh units would would cancel them out. Coefficient of variation there's no units for that. It's it's just a percentage. I'm glad you said that or some person in Saskatchewan was going to take their coefficient and multiply
0: it by 18 and and, that. and panic. <laughs> <laughs> no no that's great to know. And and thank you for knowing it by the way when I asked the question. I appreciate that.
1: Oh, well, that's a good one. You know, if you if you got a if you were to travel to Japan, you would trade your dollars for yen and and you would find yourself 100 times more wealthy um because you can buy uh you can buy about 100 yen with a dollar. But wait, everything's 100 times more expensive. So <laughs> Well, so let me make sure
0: I'm understanding exactly. So coefficient of variant a variation we're talking about under 36 really lessens your possibility of low blood sugars. Um standard deviation shows us how much stability we have, right? Like like are keeping mm-hmm. our variability lower. What is A1C measuring?
1: Oh, like um, in, in terms of our health. Sure. Oh yeah, A1C there's uh I I love A1C. I want to strangle it and drown it in a bathtub. Oh. I Uh, A1c has been with me for a long time, it's a biomarker, It's um, hemoglobin obviously is the protein that fills up uh, your red cells, it's got the the red color because it's got iron in the middle of it, it's got an iron atom and it's the same color as rust. the uh, hemoglobin A1C. The A part of it refers to the A chain. Uh, there's an A chain and a B chain. Um, the hemoglobin A1 refers to the uh, the first amino acid in the A chain of hemoglobin, and the C refers to the isoform. If if you want to know, <laughs> it refers to the isoform of altered hemoglobin that travels on uh, chromatography. Anyway, uh, that's that's the. Long answer, the short answer is that hemoglobin A1C is a um, abnormal form of hemoglobin that has a sugar atom stuck onto it. And having that sugar, I'm sorry, sugar atom, it's a sugar molecule okay. stuck onto it. Um, and it's it's a nice indicator of how your ambient glucose concentrations have been going over the past two or three months. The downside of having a high A1C is that um, hemoglobin A1C molecules behave a little bit differently, and they're also uh, markers that things are going haywire in other parts of your body. Uh, other proteins in your vasculature, in your kidneys, in your liver might be getting decorated with sugar molecules when they really shouldn't be. Mm. So uh, having having a very high hemoglobin A1C number Tells you that quite a lot of your hemoglobin molecules are traveling around with this kind of gooey, sticky sugar molecule stuck onto them. Um, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, it's it's not my favorite biomarker. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's your favorite biomarker, John? Um, there's there's ways that you can fool the hemoglobin A1C test, and we can talk about those. Uh, there's some some people have problems with red cell production or red cell destruction that would throw it off. So you can really be misled by an A1C number. It can be too low, and you can say, ah, you're doing just fine. Your A1C is in the normal range when it should be much higher. And then on the flip side, you can see an A1C. uh, Some people have A1C values that are unexpectedly high compared to what their average glucose values are so it can it can mislead you in a couple of different ways um, i'm a much uh, much more enthusiastic about just using the average glucose value that you get from a CGM system okay. to assess the adequacy of your glycemic control is that okay uh you know it's interesting you made me think of uh last year
0: i suffered i had my ferritin was very low and it's it you know at first everyone the doctors thought i had cancer and we did all these things and it turns out i just had low ferritin and so i got an infusion of of um uh, what do they call it? It's uh, I can't think of it now. It's iron and it's a, it's a mix. It looks like a rusty bag of water, and um, and it <laughs> popped it back up. But during that time, uh, what I was told was we can't trust your A one C right now because of your low ferritin. And I was like, huh. Uh-huh. And I didn't dig too deeply into it, but something you just said now made me think of it again. Um, and then it made me think about how you know measurements, right? And we you always get um. You could use anything as an example. My daughter uh, has hypothyroidism, but when we first figured it out by her symptoms, the doctor 's office looked and said, well she 's low, but she 's in range. we don 't want to do anything." and we mm-hmm. made them give her uh, you know the hormone then, because we had an uh, experience with my wife who was low in, in range, and they would never help her, and it really hurt her over time and so it made me wonder, especially for you know uh, women in a menstruation age, is it possible? That they have an A1C that looks better than it is if they have lower ferritin. just like,
1: there th- you go, mm-hmm. there you go. There's that's another of all the ways that A1C could be misleading. That's one. Um, that's uh, that's that's one of them. And I'm thinking, um, my own experience. I used to be a really avid blood donor, and and I thought, oh, you know what? If I if I were to donate two units of blood and then wait around for a couple of weeks and then get my A one C measured, uh, that would falsely lower the A one C because as soon as I donate two units of blood, my uh, my bone marrow is gonna wake up and say, Oh my gosh, John, you did something either stupid or crazy or or really altruistic by donating those two units of blood. We have to ramp up production and we're gonna flood your system with brand new red cells. Mm. So after two weeks after donating the blood, um, I would have uh, a population of red cells which were relatively young and had not had a chance to get glommed onto by the sugar molecules, and my A1C would be uh, falsely low. And I say, yep, I can sure game the system that way. And mm-hmm. that's the same for people who undergo acute blood loss. The A1C would be um, falsely decreased within a couple of weeks once the red cell production line kicks into gear. And then uh, people who have um, uh, shortened red cell lifespans, uh, there's there's some conditions, uh, a lot of syllables, but uh, hemoglobinopathies. If your hemoglobin, if your red cells are, are not up to the task and if they're prematurely destroyed, you would have a very low A1C and it would be uh, misleading if you were trying to manage diabetes based on that.
0: No kidding. So, okay, so you as a person who's had type 1 for a long time, and is a physician, and I think it, it, we didn't really dig into it, but it sounds like you used to help people with type 1 as well when you were practicing. Is that right?
1: Oh, you know, um, indirectly, I, I, uh, I specialized in laboratory medicine and also anatomic pathology, so I would, okay. uh, I would look at disease and I would measure disease, and then I, uh, uh, and then I went to <laughs> – uh, anyway. So I, I never directly took care of people who, okay. were, uh, who needed insulin management. But for yourself, then let me just ask
0: yourself, then I guess it makes more sense. With your background and how much time you spend digging around in this data, how do you measure your success? Like, which one of these, I know there's going to be a grouping of them here, but, but can you tell me what you look at every time you look at your data, just to, when you want to look and go, oh, I need to do a little more, a little less, like, what, what is it Your where do you focus and is there any way to put them in descending order?
1: Oh um, well, I, I I'm I'm getting old. Every if you wait long enough, everybody's going to get old. Um, I, I used to worry quite a lot about my A1C, and and now I I really don't care. I, what I focus on mostly is is the average glucose. And the the example that we're looking at now is uh, 133, which which is wonderful. Um, and beyond that, I I try not to rank myself. I try not to compare myself to my peers uh here at dexcom we've got some um some very talented folks with type one who are uh even more dialed in than i am if it if it seems like I know what I'm doing there's people down the hall who are even better and then there's people in the community who who are uh need some advice and and that's the mandate i say you know what i'm I'm doing fine but let's um let's see if there's problems that I can address so I look at my average sugar, I look at the time high and low, uh, time and range in the example that we're looking at, 85.9% is pretty good. Um, And then I also look at at the the amount of uh, trouble and strife that it causes me, and I try to minimize that. Um, I try to settle in on a good routine that doesn't cause me too much trouble and strife. And uh, finally, after 45 years of, I think I've found a good routine for managing my own diabetes. That's amazing.
0: That, that's, I think what people need to hear too. It's funny, as you were saying all that, <clears throat> I was looking at, at my daughter's 90, like I, I went to 90 days on her information because you said average blood sugar and, and yeah. it, um, her average blood sugar has been 115 over the last 90 days with an, a, an estimated A1C 5.6. But her standard deviation over that time is like I said, it's, it's forty-five, and is that should I be more concerned about that?
1: Well, here's uh, here's an important question, um, and it, it relates to the time that she spends really low, and, and I wonder if there's numbers for either time less than seventy or or time less than fifty-four, because cause those are yeah, those it, are things that can cause trouble in a hurry. Yeah, being I, being less than fifty-four is kind of dangerous. I have
0: I have her range set um, as. 65 to 120 she's 9% low 54% in range and 37% high but she does not get for the most point we don't go over about 180 ever and under Uh 55 I don't think happens twice a month maybe and okay. not for long periods of time. Not like under fifty five and falling, where people are running around the house, you know, looking for the will and stuff like that. Just you know, like right. a dip down that you caught a little too late, and uh, and it will go to fifty five and hang and come back up. But yeah, you know, we don't let her there sit under that number. Um, but I look at her standard deviation all the time, and I, I I'm always just like, oh, that's where I need to do better. But like I said, you know, for half of the month that standard deviation is 24. And then Uh during her, you know, her hormonal times throws, throws that number off. Like, is that number less scary because she's a girl than it would be if she was a boy? I know that's a weird question, but, (laughs) but because of, you know what I mean?
1: Um, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm going to take issue with your premise. I, uh, what you told me was, is that number scary? And I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's a scary number at all. Okay. Uh, just based on the fact that she is uh, so dialed in that she has um, almost continuous awareness of, of where she is, um, and she's got uh, good access to uh, to her family and to you, and and good access to uh, to candy if she needs it. So uh, it doesn't sound like she's in harm's way uh, at all. Um, the the thing that um, you know, there's, there's some things that are, um, absolutely dangerous. Uh, one is, one is going low and finding yourself, uh, waking up with a crowd of people trying to resuscitate you is, is a terrible misadventure because you, you went low and you ignore the symptoms and guess what? You had a seizure, you lost consciousness, you bonked your head and now the EMTs are out. That's a scary misadventure. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I think if, um, and you told me earlier, she's she's had it for uh, quite a long time. She was diagnosed when um, she
0: was 2, and she's going to be 16 next month.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, so 14 years fourteen years into it. Um, hopefully, all the autonomic uh, counter-regulatory hormones are, are intact, and I hope they stay that way. So the hypoglycemia awareness, uh, I, I hope, is uh, fully intact, and the counterregulatory regulatory hormones that that would kick in to bring her sugar back toward the normal range. I I hope are intact. The, um, the coefficient of variation, you mentioned earlier the standard deviation uh, for your daughter and, and remind me of the coefficient of variation. Oh, let me get it for you. It does uh,
0: similarly change with, uh, with what's happening in her. I have it at 90 days as 39%. In the last 39. Week, in the last week, thirty six percent. But if I go into just the last three days, where, like I said, the impact from the hormones is gone, it's thirty percent.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. So sometimes, uh, sometimes it gets above that uh, arbitrary number of thirty six percent. So there is some stretches of the time where the variability is uh, is in excess. And it's it's important to note
0: that so. My daughter now for over six years has had an A one C between five two and six two. And we don't sure. restrict her diet in any way. So she'll have pancakes, you know, uh for breakfast on a Sunday morning, uh just as easily as this morning, like I said, she had, you know, an avocado avocado toast. And so, you know, she, she's all over the place with what she eats. She'll have nights where she just has a big salad for dinner. And nothing else. Last night she had some turkey and a small amount of potatoes. But when dessert came out, she wasn't interested. And so she's—I would—I call—I would call her eating healthy and varied, um and not excessive. She's not a sweets person. Like she's she'll trick or treat, but that's to hang out with her friends. And she comes home and doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do with the candy. You know, like that—that's <laughs> sort of an idea. Um, but you know, I'm trying to talk through her to everybody so that everybody can kind of get a feeling for how they should feel about this information for themselves personally. Um, sure. Yeah.
1: Well, there's, um, there are some things, um, and, and we we spend a lot of time looking at data here. We've got some data science people who built their career on looking at data. There's a couple of comments that might, that might be helpful. And one is to, um, to look for opportunities to lower the standard deviation lower the coefficient of variation one is uh to see if there's any evidence of over treating highs or lows Mm -hmm. and sometimes those really jump out if if you look at the um the hourly plot we call it the modal day plot uh sometimes you'll see oh here's here's something where i i know i know where i i went sideways on this i know i had uh the the big snack after lunch I shouldn't have. Oh, there were free donuts in the conference room. I should have said no to those donuts. So th- sometimes there's um, opportunities for looking at your data, uh, not the numbers, but just looking at the the image of the 24-hour stretch of, of daytime. You say, wow, there's a big spike there uh, in the early morning hours. Maybe I had too much uh, snack before I went to bed. Maybe I had too much. Uh, my own case, I had uh, a habit of taking too much fast-acting insulin uh, to cover breakfast, and I would always go low around nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, being uh, looking at the data, uh, not just as numbers but as a, a graph, can be very helpful, and it can reveal opportunities for uh, making adjustments. And if uh, if the standard deviation is in in the high range, if the coefficient of variability is in the high range. Then it deserves some some careful consideration about. Wow, this is a bumpy ride. Are there any particular times of the day that you would like to address with your um, uh, and might be really amenable to to making thoughtful changes? Can, uh, can I ask, uh, given how
0: the numbers are calculated, if how much is that all? Uh, what's my question? Are any of the numbers based off of the the range that I've set up? So keeping in mind that my daughter's range is, on my phone, it's 65 to 120. On her phone, I think mm-hmm. it's 70 to 130. And so on her phone, which is the one that you know her clarity accounts connected to and everything, if my daughter's blood sugar is quite literally between 75 and 110 for two thirds of the day, but she has two big meals that spike her to 180, but she's not more she's not at that 180 for more than an hour and comes back down without getting low. Do those numbers look artificially inflated if that's how it works
1: for her sometimes? Um the uh, uh I think your question is what are the numbers that you see in the in the clarity report or the clarity summary and uh the the time in different ranges you can You can set those. You can customize the ranges that you want to see for, and you can do that in the daytime and the nighttime. So, my the ranges that if I
0: changed her range, this might be a stupid question, but if I pushed my daughter's high number up to 180, would her standard deviation fall?
1: Oh, uh, no, it would not. Okay. Uh, No, the standard deviation doesn't care whether a number is in the range, the range that you set is, is pretty arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can turn that dial up or down. Uh, the, the range that you set within clarity just tells you when are you going to get beeped and what are the summary statistics for time and range? Look none like. of the
0: data is based uh, off of those ranges. Got it.
1: That's okay. right. Great. That's right. The, the standard deviation coefficient of variation, those numbers are, um, those are not subject to change by just changing the, uh, the alerts or the, uh, the target ranges. I see. Okay. Um, and they're based off of what quote unquote normal would be. Is that right? Oh, um, actually not the, no. the normal range. I, I mentioned earlier the, the normal range, um, is, is no more than 120. Okay. Um, and at, at, the moment, I'm just leaning over and checking my sugar right now, uh, is it's 109. Um, but um, for the most part, having having a sugar of 150 would not be concerning, I don't think, for any endocrinologist. If, if you were to cruise around at 150 all day, every day, mm-hmm. uh, the endocrinology community would say you're doing a good job. Your A1c is likely close to 7%, and your risk of long-term complications is close to baseline, is close to what the non-diabetic population would have. So that would be very reassuring, even if you're Having a abnormally high glucose number, I got a mm-hmm. I got a call once. I I did uh, some lab tests and uh, for a different occasion, and the nurse called me up and said, uh, "John, I've got some very concerning news. Your your glucose is 123." And I thought, well, well what's concerning about that? <laughs> and and she said, well, it's it's higher than normal. And and I said, well, I have type one diabetes. And and as soon as she heard the fact that I had type one diabetes, she said, oh. Well, you're boring. Have a nice day. Goodbye.
0: So you're making um, me think so, of uh, my daughter had to give urine one time, and I left the, the room where I dropped it off and didn't tell the nurse she had diabetes. And I walked halfway down the hall and ran back because I was worried for the nurse, and she was running out of the room at the same time. And I looked at her, and I went, she has huh? type 1. And she goes, oh, oh okay. And then she, <laughs> she she goes back in the room. Um, let me re-ask my question because I have it in my mind, and maybe uh, I right, might I'm, ask another dumb question here. Trust me. It's very possible. I'm ready. So so, Arden's blood sugar does sit in the eighties for most of the time, but sure. and and like I said, sometimes she'll hit one eighty on a couple of meals. What if her blood sugar always sat at one twenty and sometimes hit those one eighties? Would that make her standard deviation lower? Um, uh,
1: I don't think. Um, I I don't know. I don't think you've given me enough information. To ask that question, we could um, we could do some numerical simulations, which would be interesting, but maybe a, quite a digression. Um, I don't think we can tell for sure just based on what you told me. So it's it's a a big question mark right now. I, I'd have to punt and say I don't know. That's fine.
0: I'm trying to. I can't wrap my head around my own question, which is frustrating, as you may imagine, and a limitation of my intelligence. But I'm trying to I'm trying to decide how you know, a, so, so you don't, I know you've heard a couple episodes of the show, John, but you don't listen to the show. And I actually would like to send you a, a short list of episodes and and let you listen to them and hear what you think of them. But um, most of the people who listen to this podcast, I would assume have an A1C in the fives, or I would think over six and a half for somebody who's been listening more than three months would be uncommon. And oh. the, the basic tenet of the podcast is that you don't you don't stare at a high blood sugar, you get it back down without causing a low, and there's ways to use insulin you know with the data that that makes that work um, mm-hmm. so we you know we're pretty heavily talking here about make sure your basal insulin's right, prebolish your meals uh don't stare at a high blood sugar um, you know don't cause a low bump and nudge with insulin you know if you after a meal at a meal time you know forty five minutes after you eat if you're one thirty six diagonal up we bump it back down again. If you're 85 diagonal down, that turns into 80 that you think, oh, this is going to keep going. You don't wait to see a 60. You take in a few carbs and nudge that that blood sugar back up again. It's it's like driving between two lines. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to swerve. You just want to kind of try to stay as steady as possible. And we talk about a lot about how to use insulin, temporary basal rates, both positive and negative and food in ways that keep those swings from being crazy. And, yet there are people who come back with amazing a1c's who don't get low very often but have a couple of spikes with larger meals and these numbers that everyone's telling them are super important uh you know standard deviation they they can't seem to get into the space that they want and then they start thinking about limiting food to make that happen and i i think there i think this podcast has a lot of different goals But one of them is for you to understand insulin enough that you can eat what you want to eat. And I'm not saying that everyone should run out and eat those donuts at the conference table. Like that's not my point. My point isn't. I'm not a person who says, "Oh, you have diabetes. You know, don't ever think of you know, don't ever think about your your health. Just eat whatever you want because insulin can take care of it." My point is that if you understand how to use insulin, then you can go off into the world and with a diet of your choosing. Keep your blood sugars in a more normal range and extend your health. Um, but I'm baffled a little by my daughter's standard deviation. All the other numbers make sense to me, but that one number I can't wrap my head around.
1: Um, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the hormonal changes that come by every month, and and sometimes the uh, the good control becomes uh, more of a challenge. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And the coefficient of variability goes up, and and then unfortunately, the having a high coefficient of variation gives you a, a higher risk of, of symptomatic or potentially dangerous lows. Mm-hmm. But but uh, so it's it's especially important to to have that awareness of of misadventures on the low side, um, especially during that time of the month where the the swings are especially high amplitude. Yeah. Um, the um, but the goal is, as you said, I, I think the goal is to to spend most of your time um, out of harm's way, and to live a long, happy life where your retinas uh, your retinas last your whole life, and your kidneys are going to last your whole life, and you're going to die with all ten of your toes uh, where they belong at the end of your feet. So uh, it sounds like she's uh, well on the way, and especially the education that you've been giving her and the insights that she's been getting from from CGM oh, I agree. Uh, sound like I they've agree. been tremendously helpful.
0: I appreciate it. John, I just did something that I'm so, I feel badly about, but because you're sharing, sharing your screen, I can't see my screen. And I just realized oh. that I've had you on for an hour and 20 minutes. I'm so sorry. I didn't even, I am really enjoying this and I didn't, I didn't recognize about the passage of time. I hope I haven't kept you from something. And you're not just being polite to me. Oh, um.
1: well, let me, you know, I think I had something that, uh, I did have something else on the calendar and I hope I'm not, um, let me check my little Outlook here. You can see my calendar. Uh, there's something coming up at uh, at noon, so maybe we ought to. I'm gonna we'll let wrap you go. Is what I was gonna it. say.
0: Yeah, 100. I oh, just right.
1: I just looked at my phone to look
0: at that, something about Arden to say to you, and I was like, oh my gosh, uh, they I'm, I'm, you're gonna crucify me. I've been I've had you way too long. Listen, this was incredibly interesting, and I can't really thank you enough for doing it because it you know. It's not something everyone jumped up to do and I said, "Can I get somebody who really understands standard deviation to talk on the podcast?" There wasn't a long line of people with their hand up. You, you know, uh, so I really I genuinely appreciate this and I have to tell you, it's going to go right out tomorrow. Uh I don't usually put stuff out this quickly, but it this fits right into my schedule. So you'll be able to hear yourself and be horrified by your own voice uh, in probably 12 hours or so.
1: Well, that's great. So you can – I hope you cut out the obscenities and the uh, the screaming and, and the lawnmowers and the – All that horrible all stuff
0: the, you did will be cut out. Now people will just hear you say that and wonder <laughs> what it is that we took out.
1: So, um, uh, Scott, what a pleasure. I, I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for uh, – thanks for reaching out. And I'm, I do uh, – boy, Dexcom is great. I, I'm just surrounded by really smart people who love uh, – who are really bought into the mission. It's, it's a good company. It's a good product. It's a good mission. And, and I, it's nice hearing about your own experience and, and your daughter as well. I hope you have a, uh, a long, happy life with, uh, with this thing that nobody wants, but we're doing the best we can with type one diabetes. You're very nice, John, but
0: to think that you're not going to get drug back on this podcast at some point is, uh, is not reasonable. I'm going to get you back here at some <laughs> point. We'll find out more about you and your diabetes one day. Uh, I really appreciate this. I'm going to be incredibly humble all day long after talking to you. Just so you know, uh,
1: <laughs> I, I realized that you've, you've got a, you're the God of podcasts though. You you can go have some podcast swagger and, and brag about having a wonderful podcast. Well, I'll have to lean on that since
0: I couldn't get out of uh, algebra in sixth grade. So thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Then. You too. I know that was a denser episode than you're accustomed to on this podcast. But I just thought that having someone like John walk through these ideas was important. I took a ton from it. I'm going to listen back to this a couple of times because I'm i am I'm not as smart as I need to be sometimes about some of this stuff. But John made it understandable and complete. I was really thrilled to have him on. I'm going to have him back someday and just talk about him and his diabetes and try to learn his story. I wish you could have heard the conversation I had with my booker when I was... Like, hey, I need somebody from Dexcom to talk about standard deviation, like really deep dive. Is there somebody over there that can do that? And she was like, I'll find out. And boom, John Welsh comes out of nowhere. Really lovely man. I want to thank you for listening. I mean, especially if you're still here an hour and a half into this, you are a major geek about diabetes data. And I love you for it. Thanks so much to Omnipod Touched by Type 1. The Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Please again, go to juiceboxpodcast.com for those links or look right into the show notes of your podcast player. You can clicky clicky on them right there. One way or the other, if you use my links, you'll let the sponsors know that you came from the Juicebox Podcast and I will, of course, really appreciate that. Hope you're all well, especially in these times. I'm thinking of all of you and I'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Best Of Data, Data, Duda, Dada. People love diabetes data. This is an all-time favorite episode of the people. Would you like to save 35% on this sweatshirt that I'm wearing here or these silky joggers? Am I rubbing my legs while I'm saying it? I'm not going to tell you because it sounds creepy, but they're super soft. CozyEarth.com. Save 35% at checkout with the offer code JUICEBOX. And of course, you can get 10% off your first month of therapy at BetterHelp.com forward slash Juicebox just by going through that link. That's all you have to do. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and you're not in my private Facebook group, it's absolutely free and I think you would love it. Juicebox podcast, type 1 diabetes on Facebook. Private group, 35,000 plus members. That's uh, over 35,000 members. Tons of conversations, opinions, perspectives, and great conversation. Absolutely free. Go check it out.